Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, so on and so on. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz on the phone lines, as always. Going to be pretty much a, a recruiting-only thing. Maybe maybe a little bit of basketball or football talk at the end. We did hear from Beeline at long last, but uh, you know we've got lots of stories about that. But everyone is buzzing because of the big recruiting weekend. They saw four commitments. They moved up from 17th to 5th in the 24-7 Sports Composite Team Rankings. Of course, you can always check that out at our site to see how things change from day to day. And they also made really strong headway with a lot of top targets. You know, some some have become favorites. Some already were favorites. Uh, Michigan was favorites to land them. Some are still uphill battles. But they're, they're, the class is starting to come together. Uh, and, and Steve, just real quick, I mean, where does this rank in your personal history as far as the most productive visit weekends Michigan has had? Uh, it's up there. I mean, top three for sure. It, I don't think anything will ever touch the Jake Butt, Taco Charlton, Jordan Lewis, uh, Wyatt, I think Wyatt Shulman, trying to think of who else, Kyle I don't know if Bosch committed. There's that one weekend they had yeah. uh, back in the 13 cycle that was, uh, I mean, not just big, but it really those, the first three guys I mentioned ended up, you know, being basically the foundation of a team that came within one foot of going to the college football playoff. So, right. uh, you know what I mean? So like, that was a, that was a really big one. There was a, I think they got, that's kind of the thing. Like one of the bigger weekends they had is when they got Damian Harris and George Campbell and then didn't sign either one of them. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it was a great weekend in the context of that. Our, it was a great recruiting. Weekend, did well. it, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, this one's, this one's definitely up there though. Uh, I think this one was probably more expected than the other two. Uh, but yeah, fruitful weekend all the way around. Uh, I think they got a lot of guys they really wanted. And, uh, yeah, kind of helping build that foundation heading into barbecue at the end of July and then heading into the regular season. Yeah, and you and I were talking. I mean, there's, there's the class is not stopping at 19 or, or 18 or anything like that, but you do have a foundation. And and they picked up some pieces of at positions that they probably do need to take people in this class. And, and I guess – I can just list them all. There's the Viper, uh, the former Ohio State baseball commit. And by the way, you know, some people are like, oh, well, he was picking baseball. He's the top 100 baseball recruit. Uh, we do have a question about that from one of our, our listeners. And then there was Eric All, who emerged as Michigan's top tight end target. Zach Charbonnet, who ran for 2,000 yards uh, in, in California's toughest league. You know, seems like a, a guy that pretty much everyone in the country wants. And then there was Mozzie Smith. Uh, you know, four-star from the state of Michigan. We talked about in-state recruiting. I think probably both of the past top two podcast or last two podcasts. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that they they're obviously very excited about. What what about what should pe- fans know about these four uh, in these commitments? You know, because I think the natural inclination is just to look at the star rankings. But these are these are guys that, regardless of the ranking, they emerged as people Michigan very badly wanted and very much believes can be, you know, make an impact on the team really most of their careers. You know, I don't think there any of them are projects 
uh, and they can get started right away. Yeah, so Mozzie Smith and Zach Sharp, they were the top target, the number one player on their board at their respective positions for Michigan. So they get their number one defensive tackle. They get their number one running back. I mean, you can't do much better than that. Uh, number zero target, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> with Kovaris Crouch, I've mentioned this a few times, sort of really kind of becoming an athlete uh, that may play both sides of the ball or may play defensively. Uh, I would consider Charbonnet the number one target for them at running back. I mean, you could, if you want to be, you want to grab, you know, think I'm like making some kind of trying to pump him up or something. You could just call them one A and one B. I don't really, you know, I think he's the number one guy for them. We reported it well before we believed that Michigan was going to be his destination. Um, so those two were huge pickups for them. And Eric All, uh, they Michigan missed on Luke Deal who was their number one target at tight end this cycle. They're still recruiting Isaiah Foskey, who I think is up there as well. And then there was all, I mean, that's really kind of the way they went about tight end. They did make the run at Ryland Goaty out of Georgia early on, but that was pretty much always a foregone conclusion that he would be going to Georgia. So, um, I mean, you can count that one if as a loss if you want. Uh, but again, I mean, a kid from what about an hour away from Athens, good friends with a lot of players in the team. You know, he was never not going to go to Georgia, I don't think. So, um, and all is a guy that, I mean, our director of scouting, Barton Simmons, has explicitly already said he's going to move up. So people hmm. will be able to be happy yeah, about right. <laughs> that commitment now. So, um, you know, so then Velasquez, uh, lightly scouted, a guy that Michigan has seen twice now. I don't, know how you really just can't believe in what Don Brown wants at Viper. Uh, I mean, Matt Milano, Jabril Peppers, Kalik Hudson, uh, they know what they want there. They know what to look for. Uh, so, you know, I think, again, another – and, again, it's it's June. They're not under any pressure to take guys just to take guys at this point. You know, it's it's more of a, we know we like this guy enough. We want him on board. You know, let's push and get that verbal secured and then go from there. It's not a, oh, crap, what are we <laughs> going to do at Viper? Yeah. Oh, uh, let's just take this guy. You know, like that's not what's going on here uh, as much as people may believe that. And then uh, what was the other one? Turner. I compared his recruitment to Jamon Green from last cycle. He Turner was one of the first cornerbacks Michigan offered. They pursued him vigorously throughout the cycle. They took the lead in his recruitment, and then they secured his commitment. I mean, it's almost a mirror image of the Green recruitment from last year as a, and a guy who was as rated at an 88 that the Michigan staff targeted early, often, and got. So, um and again, I feel like they know how to produce successful cornerbacks at the college level at Michigan right now. So uh, really a guy who fans should expect big things from in the future. You know, again, there's a, there's a lot of cornerbacks on the board still. It wasn't a, you know, desperation type situation. I mean, I've kind of gotten to the point now where I kind of look at the board like you look at the three-star guys, at least according to the composite, 
that they have committed. And there's just a, some definitely some patterns, uh, especially when you get toward the guys that are towards the bottom of the list. You know, the four guys at the bottom, Jack Stewart, Gabe Newberg, Velasquez, and, and George Johnson the third, are all guys who really have been very, very lightly evaluated. I know Bill Green, our Ohio guy, has explicitly said that he's barely the grades for Newberg and Velasquez are based off of more projection than it is actual watching them live and evaluating them. So those are two guys in Ohio who will be seen a lot this year and I think have a chance to move up. This is for people that worry about this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that those guys can move up. George Johnson the third, much like Michael Barrett last year, plays quarterback. Michigan's recruiting him primarily as a slot receiver. And it's so it's hard to, you know, he's graded as an athlete, um, but it's hard to project, you know, or, or grade him necessarily on his ability as a receiver when nine, 90% of his film is out of the, at the quarterback position. Hmm. Um, now, is he switching and, in for his final year? It's a good question, actually. I don't know. I, that's probably something I could find out pretty quickly, actually. I'd actually should maybe try to find that out and, and then uh we did get a question real quick while we're on athletes eli utal veroff said how many of these ath types would michigan take and can steve sort them priority i'm not going to make you sort them by, by priority unless yeah, you want no, to but uh, one question that, that that kind of touches on is do they when they like recruit these athletes are they saying like how many of them are they saying just get them on campus and we'll find a position and how many of them are saying you know, kind of, we project you to be this position. So then when they're picking this, when they're making this recruiting board and they, they're like trying to pick, you know, how many safeties, how many running backs, how many receivers they take, like what, how much do they project what they're going to play? Even if 24 seven just calls them athletes. Right. I think there's always an idea. And here's the thing is like the vast, vast majority of the time athlete is like, is, is a skill position projection, right? I mean, most of the, probably 90% of the time, an athlete is going to probably play in the defensive backfield, wide receiver, or running back. You know, you'll the other once in a while, you'll get the tight end slash maybe linebacker. Ben Mason, you know, fullback, inside linebacker. So, Right, or like they, like the kid they're recruiting the cycle, Asa Turner is six four two fifteen. He's a guy that's probably either an outside linebacker or a tight end, you know, or a, maybe a wide receiver, but probably a tight end on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think they always have an idea, right? So like Wandale Robinson out of Kentucky, he's he's going to be an offensive athlete wherever he goes. He's listed as an I don't know if we have him listed as a maybe we have him listed as an all purpose back, but. Uh, realistically is is pretty much an athlete because Michigan's definitely not recruiting him as like a straight up running back. So uh, they normally have, I think a rough idea, you know, but like it's Chris Evans, a great example was a guy that they didn't know what they were going to do with until they got him on campus. Right. He could have been a defensive back. We were talked about, they mentioned maybe playing him at corner or safety. They talked about slot receiver, and they get him on campus, and they thought, okay, this guy knows how to run the football. Like, we're going to put him at running back, you know. And so, um, you know, it's – and they love they love taking those kind of guys, I mean, as, as we see. I mean, and one of the biggest – like, the sense I get 
is, and I, the, the best example for me, it is, we already t- just mentioned him, but Michael Barrett, like if you just watch that guy's film, yeah, you just know, it's like he's playing quarterback, but you know, you're watching him if he's running the ball or even if he's playing defense, like you could just watch the guy's film, even if you're not like a big X's and O's person, which I've, I've never proclaimed myself to be like a, a guru of any kind in that regard. But if you turn on his film, like you can just see that just he knows how to play the game. And I know that's like a very intangible way of like describing it, but you could just kind of see when a guy's like comfortable with his body, comfortable on the football field, knows what he's doing, uses his attributes, you know, effectively, you know, on a consistent basis. And uh, I think those are the types of guys that they look for. They're big on the in-person evaluations. We talk about Velasquez as a guy they've seen twice now, you know, and, and with as, impor- as important as the Viper position is in Michigan's defense, you know, a guy that they take there, they, they have to feel really confident about. And so um, as is everything, it's, it's always a kind of a mix of things, but a lot of times it's, it's usually narrowed down. Um, most of, it's usually narrowed down to one side of the ball usually, but sometimes it's not like you talk about crouch. That's more because, you know, I've, I think I've mentioned it a few times now with crouch. It's just every school just says, just please come play, play whatever you us. want. Yeah. You can we'll kick. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, so in that regard, you know, there are like circumstances like that, or if they were still in like a blue McCoy out of California as a guy, just like, please just play here and, and we'll, you know, we'll just figure it out. We'll, you can, you know, we'll, you can do what you want. And, uh, you know, but a lot of times, you know, it's usually kind of narrowed down to some extent. But again, that could all change, you know, when they get on campus, like Brad Hawkins, right? I mean, he was probably, he was played wide receiver, was recruited as a wide receiver, then went, and prep, then went to prep school, and then Michigan kind of switched their approach on him. You know, now he's playing on the defensive side of the ball. So, um, so yeah, it's, I think, you know, I think you can tell, and it's not, it's not just a Michigan thing, but just Michigan seems to be very keen on, on versatility on both sides of the football, you know, and, and I think they recruit in a lot of instances, they recruit athleticism, whether it's raw or refined. And then, you know, then they teach and coach and uh, the track records are lengthy for both sides of the ball, really, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, yeah, that's yeah. We got a couple questions while we're on these these commits about Charbonnet, and uh, for for good reason. Uh, but but Tony Molina says, do you think Zach Charbonnet has the ability to be the number two running back and split carries with Chris Evans next season? So early projections, and I guess we got another one about which of the recruits is going to have the biggest impact in year one of, of these five that committed. It was five, right? Uh, six. If you go back to what well, you had, Johnson, Velasquez, all Turner, Charbonnet and Smith. So you had six of them. Okay. So, so, you know, I don't think we are going to know until we see Turner Barrett and Haskins play. If he's right. actually going to be number two, but of these six, who, who cracks the depth chart in year one? We were going a little bit over who – Michigan's in, in good shape with assuming the 2017 class can 
kind of continue to progress. They're probably in good shape from a depth chart perspective, but of those six, who who cracks the, let's say, the two deep in year one in your eyes? I mean, I, I think that, and we're high on Christian Turner, I am, but I still think, I think of those six, I think it's still got to be Charbonnet. Uh, he is going to move up the rankings. He's probably going to move way up the rankings. Like top uh, 150, do you think? Because Mozzie's think in there. Yeah. I think he's a top 100. Wow, player. okay. Well, I mean, Barton has already pretty much opined. I know Greg Biggins, uh, our West Coast guy, who does an excellent job out there, referred to him. He thinks he's one of the top five backs in the country. The fifth-ranked back on our rankings, I believe, is Devin Ford, committed to Penn State. He's ranked 71st in the country. So um, here's the thing. like Charbonnet is a top 100 player. I don't think there's really any doubt. Just – I don't know. Does he get that high? I don't know. I think he. I think at least from art from twenty four seven standpoint, I think he gets there or very, very, very close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's of the six. I, I definitely. I'd actually say I definitely think uh, he's the one that's maybe primed to make the earliest impact. And that again, that's with uh, the guys in eighteen who you know, we've mentioned aren't the highest ranked guys that Michigan's recruit at running back, but are guys that they really feel good about, uh, particularly Turner, as far as like, I think Turner plays this year. Um, would have played without the new red shirt rule. I guess technically everybody can play this year. Yeah. But yeah. Without, if the red, even if the red shirt rule had not been changed around or whatever, I would have bet that Turner was going to play this year. Have so. we talked about that yet? The red shirt rule on the podcast? No, I just I could it's it's a great rule. We can pocket it. Maybe if we have time at the end, depending on how much how long these questions take. That can be our football discussion for today. Uh anyway, sure. anyway, so so you think Charbonnet would Smith be your number 2 or do you think someone else? Cuz Smith Smith is he's already got the stars and the and the ratings on our site. Right. Yeah. I'm looking I'm just when you consider the actual depth chart I'd say yeah. I'd probably say Smith second. Probably say yeah. We'll say Smith second. Okay. The other after that, I think he can get a little murky because yeah. Again, that's the thing. We don't know that much about Velasquez, you know. And he he could be a guy we turn on his film in November and we're talking about a incident. I don't I don't anticipate it necessarily because I feel like his recruiting profile may have blown up a little bit earlier if he had been a can't miss guy, but he's also a guy I think, you know, could really move up with a nice senior season on film mm-hmm. and an in-person evaluation. Hey, do you know, cause we, we did get a question. We mentioned he was a top 100 baseball prospect and there is evidence to suggest if you're a top 100 baseball prospect, you're going to get drafted pretty highly. I, I'd have to double check, but I, my, my thought is around 15% of the top 100 baseball prospects don't just straight up go pro. You know, they, yeah. they actually, like, about about 120 sign each year, high school, maybe maybe a little bit further north of that. But but of the top 100, a decent amount of them go knowing they can improve their stock. I mean, do you know anything about, like, like is he going to ditch town if he gets drafted? Is he going to, I mean, is, is he even considering Michigan baseball? Or is he just saying he's going to go pro? Or is he actually all in on football? 
Do you know anything of that sort about what, I guess, the flight risk of him just going pro in baseball instead? Well, part of the contingent, it was part of his commitment at to Michigan was contingent on his relationship with the Michigan baseball staff. I know he met with Bakich. Bakich. Bakich, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, before he committed. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, that's something maybe I could probably just, I could just ask him and he'd, he'd let me, he'd probably give me a decent answer. He's, he's a, seems like a great kid. Uh, you know, so I, I, that's not one I guess I could really answer 100% okay. for sure. I would just, say this, though. I don't think they would spend the scholarship on a kid if they – not saying they believe he was going to be there all five years or four years, but I don't think, you know, that conversation would have to be had before Michigan would move forward there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah that's a good point. Because, again, there are other guys they could recruit at Viper. This wasn't a, oh, crap. Lance Dixon's probably going to Penn State, so we really got to figure something out here before July. Yeah, time to figure otherwise, it out. We're, otherwise, we're screwed. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So okay. Well, by I the way, I get that answer though for those who are listening and will wonder if I'm going to get an answer on that. I, that's something I should be able to get a pretty good answer from him on. So yeah, because I was going to say Michigan baseball has had top 100 recruits each of the past two years, and they both left. They got drafted. Sure. In the fourth round, and then in the seventh round and they both decided to just give it their shot because because if you are drafted in the top 10 rounds i mean you're gonna have at least a couple hundred thousand dollars coming your way so but right but playing for michigan football you know is that worth it to to have that experience you know i don't know that that'd be more of a player specific thing but as you mentioned are they really gonna you know, take the Steinbrenner's going to come. The Steinbrenner's going to come around and <laughs> kill yeah. Michigan football again, like they did with Drew Henson. Uh, yeah, but but as you said, I mean, they're not going to go through all this if if Velasquez wasn't at least fairly interested in playing. You know, he grew up, I assume, an Ohio State fan. Uh, was an Ohio State commit from Columbus, so like he knows. I think my my thought is that he at least has a enough an understanding of why college sports can be a different and fun experience that, you know, as you said, Michigan, they're not desperate here. You know, they probably did take their time and talk with him. Um, so, but if he comes, I mean, that's a good coup for Backage too, you know, cause they've been, I agree. they've been knocking in that, they've been in the top 20, top 25 recruiting classes every year, but they've never had someone that good actually commit and stay with their commitments. So anywho, that's, that's probably a discussion for another day. So with this class, they had six commits, and we had a couple different questions. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look through and see them. But, but one question that definitely came up was, how big will this class be? Because you and I were, were trying to break down like you know the, the transfer risks, the early departures. The bottom line is you don't know how that's all going to shake out. You don't know who's <laughs> going to want to go elsewhere, who's going to graduate early and transfer, who's going to emerge i mean you know you know someone like devin bush we think is gone but you know at this time last year we didn't even know if he was going to be you know an all big 10 guy last you know like you know he he ended up on some all-american lists so so there can be some surprises too uh both good and bad but with this from your understanding how big is this class designed to be i mean the number i've been 
saying, you know, when when casual people ask me, not that I'm the person to ask, but I've been thinking like 22-ish, which would require 11 early departures, which is relatively par for the course on, you know, experienced teams. Uh, I don't know. Do you, have you heard? Have you heard anything? I mean, are they looking at really just kind of flushing things out and going 25, or are they going to kind of zero in their focus after after this big weekend? Or are they? I don't know. What What do you think they're doing for size wise? You had to ask. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You told me not to ask. You can say you don't know. I no, mean... no, no. I didn't tell you not to ask. I just it's like so when when they get some commitments or you're starting to see how many guys are still recruiting, like it's always the question that like flows in. And one, I, I mean, I'll be honest, like I've never really understood why people care so much about how big the class is going to be. Because the one thing I've learned is that the numbers always work out somehow. It's not like a deal where they're going to take X amount of commits and then, Oh crap, there's not enough room. We can't take five of these guys. They got to see you later. Uh, it always works out. They have a plan. Um, and it's, but at the same time, it's literally like, you know, people overuse the word. You cannot answer this question until signing day in February. It fluctuates constantly. Uh, the last three cycles, the day that Michigan woke up on signing day, they did not know how many players they were going to end up signing in the class. Like they withheld letters of intent or decommitments or, uh, decommitments that they didn't fill, like when they lost Devery Hamilton in 16, they went back being another guy there. They didn't, you know, they, uh, Alaric Jackson, like they didn't, they could have sent him a letter of intent. Looking back, they probably should have sent him a letter of intent. Uh, and, and they didn't though. And then they didn't fill that slot with anybody. You go all the way back to 14 when they missed on Malik McDowell late. Mm-hmm. They didn't take, they didn't fill that spot, you know? So I don't know. I mean, it's obviously, it's going to be more than what they have verbaled right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just, I don't know, you know, it depends on how well the season goes. Cause if they have a great season, who knows, they could pull in the Daxton Hills or the, uh, George Carlaftis or the, you know, some of, maybe some of those five-star kind of guys that you just cannot, you can't turn down no right. matter what. Right. And, uh, but if they happen to struggle a little bit or maybe let's just, let's just say they flatline, they, they have a good season and they just keep, you know, who they have committed right now and then add like some guys, you know, I, I just, I think like you, I think, I can't believe I'm saying a number, a 22, 23, I guess is kind of what I'm looking at right now. But yeah. I don't really know. No, it's just and, impossible. To and nobody knows. The team doesn't know. I mean, you the coaches literally don't know, like on signing day. Like, I mean, they yeah. like I cannot stress that enough. But <laughs> they, they, you know, I, I think the early signing day maybe helps a little bit as far as like, you know, maybe create some clarity. But even then, you know, the last signing day, you always have you know a bunch of elite kids still on the board and. Just you never know, and if like I said, if they have a big season, all bets are off, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. You know, as far as that goes. So, um, I just the only thing I would say is it's it's definitely going to be bigger than what we originally anticipated. 
going into the cycle. But then again, it almost always is bigger than what you think it's going to yeah, be. Going you don't know. I mean, I mean, you, you can think someone's going to leave, but then they actually do. Or this year they've got a few guys who might go pro early. I mean, I don't know, right. you know, and I don't think Michigan's going to be like pushing them out the door, but they're not going to tell Devin Bush like, Hey, you know, you're a top 50 prospect. You should probably come back for another, you know, no, like that's, that's just not the nature of how things go. Uh, one right. question that maybe you could be, maybe is a little bit easier to project, although it is still tricky because you don't know who they're going to take or how many they're going to take. But Rick Moody says, does the boom of the past recruiting weekend and run of commitments point to this class ending up being a great one. And then Justin, you says, where does this class rank by February? And does Michigan have a real shot at Crouch? We can talk about Crouch in a moment. Uh, but as far as the ranking, they're five. They're probably not going to end up at five unless they really are in the playoff and reeling in five stars left and right. But did this weekend change your thoughts on how this class can do? Because because you, I mean, we talked about it last week. You expected a big weekend, and and with all the visits, I mean, they were really lining this thing up to be to be something significant. But no, no they did, buts. Well, they, did did they hit on enough to change? I mean, was your opinion already what it is now? Yeah. Okay. I mean, really, the only thing that happened this weekend that maybe wasn't expected was Charbonnet. But even then. I would have projected him to Michigan for sure. The only right. reason I didn't put a crystal ball in is because the kid himself does not talk to anybody. And so there's always that level of uncertainty in those types of recruitments. I mean, we were confident. We were, I know he, the one time he did go on the record, uh, he had said Michigan and Washington were standing out, but I know that UCLA had just offered and there was some interest there. Um, you know, in a, in a Southern Cali kid, you never know. Yeah. Um, but but I know that I know Michigan felt good for a while there. Uh, so if if I had been forced to like throw some projections in or whatever, uh, I probably not probably I would have projected him into the class. So not really. I mean, okay. Otherwise, like they led for Mozzie Smith forever. They right. led for DJ Turner forever. Yep. Uh, Velasquez was going to be in the boat if Michigan wanted him. I think the George Johnson one kind of popped up out of nowhere. Uh, I know uh, Steve Wolfong did a great job in that recruitment, um, you know, because wide receiver recruiting has been somewhat of a mystery this cycle. Uh, so that one kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but as far as like changing the perception of the potential of this class, like I would, I would definitely have to answer no. Yeah. Uh, just be, I think a lot of these guys were guys I would have, you know, well, I had a crystal ball in for Mozzie, had one in for DJ Turner had one in for Velasquez. Actually, I actually I think Velasquez was one of those guys that I wrote an article saying I'd put in a crystal ball for, but then I never actually put in a crystal ball for him. Huh. Uh, so I'm still giving myself that one though. So, um, and well, all in, in all, yeah, 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 all. Uh, so they hosted Josiah Mayaman earlier, like after all had already camped, and I. I kind of feel like that was one of those deals where I, I think they wanted to see what they thought about Mayaman, uh, cause they were definitely recruiting him at tight end. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm going to have to assume they liked all a little bit more because I know that there was definitely some, uh, sentiment out there that Mayaman would have considered a commitment. So, um, you know, so yeah, but overall, 
no. I mean, that's that's. I just always assume that there a lot of times they're going to get tight ends that are like ranked between eighty six and like ninety or something, just because they know. Again, that's one of those positions that a it's hard to project at the college level uh, based off a of high school film, and b like it's definitely one position Michigan could not care less about how they're ranked because they know what they're doing there, you know. Yeah. So, well, look um, at I mean, yeah. <laughs> The, the, the last two years have provided a track record that they'll turn. Right. You know, even Schoonmaker that they took in 18, you know, it was a guy that he didn't even have. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We had a profile for him. But even then. Others, was... others did not even have a profile for him when he committed to Michigan. That's how under the radar he was uh, when he, you know. But yeah, Michigan, nah, don't care. Like. They saw him in camp. They loved him. So, anyway, long story short, no. Yeah. So, do you Didn't think my perspective. you think it could be a top ten? Do you expect it to be a top ten, or do you think it'll be right around there? It's just it's so dependent on how they play this season. You know, I, I think if they have again, if they have a good season, then I do think it'll be a top ten class because I think it'll be it'll end up being a, a bigger class, and I think they'll reel in some elite guys. Uh, just go down the board, go to our targets page. Yeah. I'd argue right now, I could tell you, I would argue right now they're in the top two for Zach Harrison, Daxon Hill, Kovaris Crouch, Lewis Sign, Trevor Keegan, Kalen Deloach. Literally every player that we have listed as a top target that's not committed, except for maybe Kyle Ford, I would argue Michigan's in the top two for. Well, there you go. And so the difference there could be, you know, 10 or 11 wins versus eight wins again. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, I joke that some of, the, some of these guys will be off the board before that plays through. Like I expect Harrison to be, to have made some kind of decision and he's not a kid that I expect to continue to play the game after he makes a verbal. Um, but still, I mean, that's, what three five stars mm-hmm. that could change class in, yeah <laughs> yeah another top 100 in sign i think Car, i think car well michigan's in this top two for carlathis now is he know? is he because because that had been someone asked about him yeah i can't remember what the question was i'm looking right now but i mean is he actually a chance to flip i mean because because i hear it once in a while i can yeah, never tell yeah. sometimes like you hear like oh there's rumblings of this but i can never tell if like that's actually rumblings or him telling one person like, yeah, Michigan's right. not a bad school. I can no. see myself being the, like, you know, dude. it's going to be interesting. So I'd, I'd say this about that recruitment. He's it's he's maintained. I mean, if, if it was not, if it was for some reason to not be Purdue, it would be Michigan. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is like, I think I just, I feel like Purdue is in a weird spot because I've been of the opinion if Purdue was to have a good year this year, you know, say they were to win, I don't know, whatever, like say they win enough games and then all of a sudden Brome becomes like the hot commodity. Yeah. You almost want to be mediocre for kind of, I mean, dead serious. If you want to keep these, somebody, cause they've got, I, I really like Purdue's class so far and they may, I mean, they could add David Bell. I mean, they, they're they're putting together 
an excellent recruiting class. Mm-hmm. I mean, they like you know Marvin Grant. We have him as a four star. I know some Michigan fans wondered why they cooled there. Uh, I, I think I mean I think there's an argument for that. I think Grant's a really good prospect. I know Will Fong loves him, um, and he's seen him more times in person than I have. So, uh, but Carlaftis is a yeah. So you know Purdue could either end up they could stink, and then there's the whole uh, you know they stink. You know, maybe I'd rather go to like a, you know, like say Michigan has a good year and say Purdue has a rough year. You know, there's that angle. And then there's the whole Purdue has a good year and then all of a sudden Brome is the number one commodity, you know, as far as in college football. And you could see, I don't know, what you you could conceivably see maybe the LSU job open, depending on how they play. Yeah. Um now, Purdue, though, because they, they have a decent donor base. It's just they've never had a prayer at, you know, at anything football-wise. If they if he does well, I mean, $52 million coming through the pipe from the Big Ten, plus, you know, a lot of engineering alums who, who have considerable money. I mean, they've they've upped their resources. Would they try to keep him, or is it, are they still a stepping stone school? Because that, that, sure that would be such would... a tough position. They would try, but think about. It. I mean, come on, Zach. You think LSU wouldn't end up just the hypoth? I'm just speaking hypothetically, but I just know that there's definitely got to be some pressure on Orgeron at LSU this yeah. year. Yeah. Just say, say they struggle, and say they get rid of him. Say Purdue wins eight or nine games. I gar- I'd almost guarantee that Brome would be the the guy that they would probably target for that spot because if, if Purdue was to have another good season. And I just don't foresee a scenario where Purdue outbids LSU for a football coach. I just well, if if he's their if he's their god, and LSU has like three candidates that they're looking at. Yeah, I, don't know. I guess. Yeah, but there's a lot, but there's a lot of I'm trying to look at some of the. I mean, well, Purdue's got oh, a s- interesting non-conference schedule. They have Boston College and Missouri, and they've. I mean, they'll be Eastern, I assume. Schools are switching coaches so much now though it's like you go on the line arizona state new coach arizona new coach oregon new coach ucla new coach you know you go to the big 12 i guess you could i don't know mike gundy's never gonna be on the hot seat oklahoma uh, lincoln riley's set there i would assume iowa state might lose their coach yeah he's he you know he'd probably matt campbell would probably be the other guy the other way up there yeah he's a that guy there's Iowa State's like very, very good at evaluating. Like they, yeah, they're a they're a school that I think could make some noise in the Big Twelve if he stays there, right? That's kind of the thing. That's kind of, the, and that's the same way I feel about Purdue. I think, you know, with all the hype with with Scott Frost and uh, maybe to a lesser extent with PJ Fleck at Minnesota, uh, I think Purdue is is closer is is can get there right with those two programs. Uh, Purdue's got a tough schedule, by the way. No, they do. I know. Yeah. I mean, they've got to go. I think they host Iowa, but, they, in, in, but they've got Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State. they got to go to Nebraska. I don't know what Nebraska is going to be, but. See? So they have a, so like, so conceivably, you go, we're getting back to what we were originally talking about with Carlaftis is like, there's the stage is there for Purdue to maybe have another rough year, right? And Michigan's definitely not going to stop recruiting him. And no? so, okay. Okay. You know, 
Oh, no. Heck no. I mean, we did I mean, get a question about defensive line recruiting, by the way. Uh, and and we, you you can include this into your into your thing. Right. Uh, given that there are already four D-line commits and that the staff is still pursuing four, Ojabo, DeCosmo, Karlaftis, Harrison, how many total do you think they would actually take total? So they already have four on the D-line. I don't know how many they would take total, but there are. there. I mean, those two guys more than any uh, – with Ojabo, who the, I think the crystal ball is got to be, is it 100 yet? No, it's still, what is it, 90. Uh, what, the other 10 to, like, Rutgers or? Penn State. Oh, okay. Which are both from, no, I don't know who the one guy is, but one of them's a Penn State analyst for sure. Um, and they're aged. They're very old. Uh, but the, the the crystal ball picks, not necessarily. Yeah, the, sorry, the crystal yeah. ball picks for Penn State are old; <laughs> they're outdated at this point. So, yeah. um, but I, uh, that's you get back. You 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 have to take Harrison, yeah, and Carlaftis. Okay, if they were to somehow both want in, which I would kind of think, say they were to say they were to pull out Harrison somehow, um, I would think i don't know you, maybe it would get to a point where carlaftis would be like maybe it would maybe if he was to open it up from purdue would maybe consider other programs just because michigan would be so stacked up front in that scenario um but i, I don't know i mean didn't the question didn't they refer to de cosmo as a defensive lineman i really wouldn't put him in that conversation yeah. okay I, he's he's a high he's at the very least he's a hybrid and he's a potential just linebacker for them so um I okay, so they've got a... four, and they could have three more. Would they take all? I mean, would they take seven defensive linemen? If it was those seven, yeah. Okay. I mean, look at that list, and just I never mean, recruit that's... a defensive lineman for the next two years. <laughs> well, those are the seven guys you're bringing in because you go back and, like I said, uh, Gabe Newberg's a guy I think could really come up too. And I know I've basically basically said that for almost every one of their three star guys, but like I said, there's a clear pattern. I think Carpenter's a guy that's probably going to stick where he's graded. Um, Charles Thomas has been scouted a lot. I know Michigan really likes him, but I think he'll, his rating will probably stick where it is. Turner's probably will too. But you look at Stewart, Jack Stewart, Newberg, Velasquez, maybe George Johnson. All those guys have been so lightly evaluated. Um, and I know Newberg is a guy, uh, like I mentioned, Bill Green mentioned him before. I think he said when he scouted him, it was in, like in a mud bowl. Um, really hard to get a feel for what kind of player he was based on the the game that he watched him in. So, gotcha. is it, you know, another, you know what I mean? So ba- I guess what I'm getting at is like, if it's those seven, you yeah. Take it. And then yeah. You just, well, and then you just, you find one guy in 2020 or two guys in 2020 and say, this is your class at defensive line. We're hmm. not going to take anybody else, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Do you think, okay. So, so now we can talk a little bit about some like Harrison, you have always said you still expect Ohio State to win. Did Michigan? Because this this week was his official, right? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, did did they do enough? I I mean, I assume they they put their best effort forward. Is it like, is it still pretty much Ohio State, or is there a real consideration, or or what would it take? Do they just need to be better than Ohio State? Like, what's what what would it take for him to actually not? commit to Ohio State? 
I for him to not commit to Ohio State. Um, and commit to Michigan. Well, he's gonna. He's. I feel like he's gonna verbal before the season. I'd be kind of surprised if he didn't. Um, they're definitely a camp that they're not really big on the process. I don't feel like so. I think he's gonna want to get it over with sooner rather than later. Uh, for it to not be Ohio State, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on. You know, what are they, what is the family, what is he really looking for? Um, both schools could turn him into a pro, no problem. Right. That's a first round pick. Foregone, yeah. That's a foregone conclusion. That, that you know, as, as far as it pertains to that aspect, um, you know, that that's, you couldn't really go wrong either way there, in my opinion. Uh, education wise, I mean, uh, you know, so uh, would give Michigan the edge there, I would assume. Uh, but Ohio State's very good at, how do they say, selling their academics. Um, they're also not terrible. It's not like no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that at all. Like they're a top they're, 50 school. They're very, they've become very good at selling the academic side of their program. Uh, I mean, they got Harry Miller out of uh, Buford, and he's the valedictorian in his class. I mean, Harry Miller would have, at the beginning of the cycle, Harry Miller, to me, would have been, easily would have been a Stanford, Notre Dame, Michigan guy. And Ohio State won that recruitment. I mean, that, to me, is very impressive on their part. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think it's just a fit. I know the one thing his mom has always told me is bonding with the current players was a really big deal to him. I think Michigan felt like they did a great job of, building those relationships with him. I know the one thing is that I've been told continuously, I think the kid likes Michigan a lot more than people think he does. Okay. Uh, I think mom definitely prefers Ohio state though. I don't, right. you know, yeah. Right. And so, which I, I don't know what else people would expect though. Uh, you could, they live 15 minutes from the horseshoe. It'd be kind of, it'd be kind of hard to expect mom to not think about it. I mean, they could ride a bike to the horseshoe on Saturday to watch their kid play <laughs> if they wanted to like that, you know, there's, and yeah. there's value in that from their stamp, their stamp from that standpoint, you know? So, well, um, yeah. And, and I think people kind of forget, like, I, I don't think the educated people who are always on the board forget Ohio state. There's a lot to like about it. It's a lot like Michigan where it's this giant tradition you know, there's it's such a cool culture around the game. I mean, my favorite trip that I take is the ones to Ohio State football games. And oh boy, what? Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, I know, I know, I know. And, and 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 like you know, it's not top fifty, but like, or it's not it's not quite at Michigan's level. It is top fifty, top twenty among the FBS schools. And I don't I mean, you know, I think Michigan is padded a little bit by the graduate programs that a player like him, who's going to be a first round pick conceivably probably isn't too concerned with how highly rated the graduate psychology department is. I don't know. I, I think people sometimes forget that like Ohio state's got a lot of the stuff Michigan has too. Like, it's not like some trick job that anyone would ever go to Ohio state. Like it's a, it's a good program. So I, so I get why she would like Ohio state. I mean, if someone was from Celine and, Right, was a big Michigan fan. Like it'd be, yep. it, you know, duh. 
like right. especially especially as a parent of a kid so uh okay so do, do you have a I, i'm not gonna ask you you know right you don't like to no, give out percentages no here's the way that this this recruitment will play out if it's not ohio state you know the crystal ball is going to say 100 percent on ohio state until that until totally changes if, yeah and yeah if he was to publicly which i knowing him which I actually, I shouldn't say, I don't really know him. I just know that the kid doesn't like to talk. He's not a fan of the process. Um, I wouldn't expect him to, I would not expect him to, well, they may, they may get him at the opening this weekend, I guess, maybe get a timeline, but if he'd set a concrete date to make a verbal, uh, I think what you would see is if it was not Ohio State, I think you would see like a last minute flip on the crystal ball to whoever. Otherwise, like I said, I think the consensus here is I don't think people could even fathom a kid from that, from that area of that caliber to go anywhere else besides Ohio state. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it's at. But again, I I think one thing I'd say about this recruitment and I don't know, some will disagree, I'm sure. But I think the fact that Michigan has gotten as into this one as they have is such a great sign uh, for them in Ohio going forward. Uh, it's not a recruitment they were in six months ago necessarily. I would have argued they were behind definitely Penn State, Michigan State, and Notre Dame probably. Um, okay. And and that's all – this is a, about a good – this is about a good as illustration as you're going to get that Al Washington's future as a recruiter is uh, super bright. I mean, he's really been the driver behind this one. So uh, – you know, if if he ends up at Ohio State, which I think everybody kind of just still feels like that's the way it's going to be, I think there's still some a silver lining to ex- an extent that you can take out of that. Because I think if you look at 2020, I think Michigan has set themselves up really well with the top players in Ohio in that class. And so, um, again, with Washington kind of being the primary guy in those. So, um, so yeah, uh, we'll see. Again, just – I think they've done an excellent job to get into as into this one as they have. Yeah. How about the other five star Crouch? We talked about him at length, so we don't need to talk about his whole recruitment. But this weekend, uh, you know, Michigan thinks that they have a very good shot. You know, they're right yeah. in that running. What do you think as far as how they did this weekend? What worked? Because because his last visit was almost like a. It was like almost like a tall tale. He was like here for five days. He was helping, you know, volunteer in the community, uh, you know, doing all this stuff. I mean, what was it like this weekend? A little bit more of a, more of a, uh, less of a get to know you kind of weekend, more of a here's why Michigan, you know, kind of selling themselves a little bit. What what did you think or what, what have you heard about how the weekend went for Crouch? I mean, I think Michigan's right in it. Uh, again, like I mentioned already, the top two at, at the very least. So who's your one in that scenario? Well, I think right now it's either Michigan or Tennessee. I okay. think those are the two schools in the best position. Um, and he's another guy I think realistically will probably decide before the before his senior season. So I know we talk about how a big season could help them reel in some elite guys, but some of these guys want a verbal early. Question, the only question is, you know, it's like I say, kind of a broken record now nowadays especially but crouch is another kid that really just you know doesn't like the process 
especially the part that involves like people like us. Um, and can't blame him. What? No, yeah. not at all. I'd be the first. I'd be the first person to tell you that. I mean, you know, I like, like I, yeah, I like us, but I mean, to have like five people at every school you visit calling you for an interview, dude. You have think about this, and that's the thing is like not. I don't know. Promise, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn here or anything, but I'm very hands off when it comes to trying to get a kid on the phone. I just I, I leave it up to them. And because basically it's gotten to the point where 99% of the time we can get the information we need without having to talk to the kid directly. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather go that route any possible time I can get it um, for that reason, like you said. But it's worse than that. Think if you're like, uh, well, say you're, how about this? Say you're a kid, like there's a 2020s top running back, Kendall Milton out of, out of Fresno. When September 1st hits this this year, when they can be contacted by juniors or they can contact junior prospects or uh, rising juniors, he's going to have members of probably 45 coaching staffs hmm. direct messaging him, texting him or whatever. And then yes, if he goes and visits, let's say he visited Michigan, right? You know, he's going to have, I don't even know at this point how many there are now that are, bugging kids, but probably like five or six outlets yeah. at least that are going to be, you know, hounding him down for generic recruiting visit quotes. He should hire an SID. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> hold a press conference. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what, you know, and so what I'm getting at here is like, so Crouch may decide before his senior season. And I don't know if it's, if we've gotten to the point now in the process where, a kid is more likely, I don't necessarily think we've gotten there yet, but is a kid more likely to stick to where he commits first because he just doesn't want to have to redeal with the process? <laughs> my suspicion my suspicion is that they would just do it under the radar or, you know, it'd just be like they're just not going to pick up the phone. So say he committed to Tennessee in August and Tennessee started to stink or say like Michigan, Alabama, others were still after him, he wanted to visit he'd probably just go visit and not deal with it anyway, I guess. So I guess it really wouldn't, maybe I guess probably wrong there. It wouldn't really change the process, but you kind of get what I'm getting at. Yeah, some guys yeah. are so fatigued by the process that they might just end it and then actually just completely end it. And uh, because of that. So, you know, they win a lot. They're going to get some big name guys, but some of those may end up having to be flips, you know, with these, with these kids looking to decide earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. So, Real quick, Dustin Wilder asks, which position group or maybe top three remaining targets are the most important as far as depth and position of need? Uh, I guess what what position, you know, they've got a few guys. You can go look at our latest crystal ball to see who Michigan's trending for. And, and who knows, maybe that stuff comes out this weekend. It might be another big weekend. But... Steve, I guess who is is there a, a most important prospect that they that they need to get? You know, obviously the five stars don't count because they're they're right. kind of your cherry on top. But someone else that's like a a top remaining target that they they really are trying to hone in on, maybe a a battle versus someone that's most likely going to commit. And then also, is there uh, a position where they should be probably picking up a player or two? Boy, just strictly, I mean. 
yeah, we say not don't count five stars, but I think uh, I think of any player left on their board, I think the biggest game changer, both from a position and uh, impact standpoint, I think would probably be Daxton Hill. Okay, the safety. Now, who uh, are they, they number two behind for that? Well, I don't even know if they're number two. They're just they're way up there. I mean, they could be number one. I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, there've been a lot of conflicting reports on his. I would say Michigan definitely 100%, probably top three. I think it's Alabama and Oklahoma are probably the other two in there. Uh, he just, but he's already used his official to Alabama, I believe. Uh, so, or let me check. I just want to make sure on that. So I'm not. He is from from Tulsa, number eight player overall. Yep. He, he did officially visit. Alabama already, which is interesting to me. So um, he may visit for the barbecue next month. Michigan is really working hard on that one because safety is kind of that one spot where I think Michigan has taken more projection-based guys than they haven't really hit on a sure thing necessarily. You know, like they take a guy like Jameric Woods, who I think has an Sky high ceiling, but was not a, definitely wasn't a finished product on film. Right. You know, by the time he got to Michigan, right. So Hill is a guy who potentially could walk in and play right away. I think so. I think he, Lewis, Sign are two really important targets for them in that regard. Uh, you know, and then the position wise, I think, I think yeah, safety. I think getting a, at least, I think a couple. I think a, I think two more receivers, maybe. I mean. One on the maybe one more on the inside and then one on the outside, and then uh, besides probably maybe just another for sure. You know that's why I think Keegan is pretty important because he's a for sure tackle, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think a because they have a lot of amoebas up front right now, like yeah. guys who could really doesn't we don't really know where they're gonna play except you know Jones is a tackle for sure, but the other guys I feel like it's pretty up in the air where they're going to play. I think getting another true tackle like Keegan would be, would be huge for them. Hey, what happened with uh Harad, the other tackle from Maryland? He's ranked I high. Think, right. Ha- I just has think all the crystal he, balls. Yeah. Well, we got five verbals already. I just think Keegan's a guy that they're a little bit higher on. Okay. Um, that's just, you know, that was, if Keegan was to commit to Michigan, I think Harad ends up elsewhere for sure. Okay. And at this point, I mean, they just hosted Danielson Ike. You know, I think he's probably also higher, too. I haven't seen Harad live. I just, the consensus seems to be that he had a little, he had kind of a tough spring. Uh, I know we moved him down to a three-star on 24-7. I think his composite's still four, but okay. he's a three-star for us now. So, um, whether that coincides with Michigan cooling on him as well, I couldn't say for sure, but... Uh, definitely, Keegan's definitely the top guy for them okay. right now. Yeah, Tim Hinchman wanted to know that one. Hey, Shane had a good question, and and I think this is an interesting one uh, that we've kind of te- we've kind of touched on because we've talked on uh, talked about rankings in the and the recruiting and how to evaluate recruits uh, to answer Matt's question. He was asking about that, but Shane Majewski says, "Are you starting to see a trend with this recruiting staff and how they evaluate recruits?" Much more of an MSU-type strategy than OSU's. MSU seems to get players that fit their system. OSU seems to get top players, then find a place for them. Your thoughts? So, I mean, this is what we're talking about. You know, these three stars that are the, like the safeties 
you know, those are guys that are have long arms, nice and tall, good length, good speed, Don Brown-type players who maybe aren't quite as polished or quite as college-ready, but they're going to take them, try to work them to be even better than maybe the recruits that they could have gotten. I, I don't know. What do you see? I, I called it ground floor on our message board yesterday. You know, guys that are on their way up, but they're getting them kind of now and when they can mold them into something more, I guess. what What's your take on it? Is it a full shift or is it just, you know, just a little bit of both and people try to create the narrative? Yeah, it's, it's definitely both. Um, I wouldn't disagree necessarily the with the kind of the way he describes Ohio State versus Michigan State. I mean, I think all schools are kind of obviously looking for a for a fit. Um, but Ohio State, the funny thing about Ohio State is, is like in a lot of their cycle, they've done really well with a lot of the lower ranked guys that they had in each class. Uh, I mean, you look at, you go back to 13. I mean, yeah, so they, they do hit on their top dogs. Like Von Bell is a great player. Joey Bosa, Apple, uh, Zeke Elliott. I mean, that class was loaded. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then uh, JT Barrett, Gary and Conley. Billy Price, you know, but they also, Taekwon Lewis was one of their lowest ranked prospects. Darren Lee, Tracy Sprinkle was a good player for them. Chris Worley, you know, those are all guys that they hit on. I mean, it was really, it was the middle of their class where they really whiffed. I mean, I'd I'd say Dontre Wilson was closer to a bust than a hit for them. Evan Lyle, I don't ever think really made an impact. Trey Johnson, uh, Jamie Thompson, I don't even know if he ever ended up even playing for Ohio State. Uh, Corey Smith, or was Corey Smith a good one? Donovan Munger, I don't know if he ever made an impact. So Ohio State's had a the good fortune. I shouldn't say good fortune because they, they earned it. Uh, but they've done a great job of reeling in a lot of elite guys, but they've also had some good evaluations on the lower end as well. Michigan State, I mean, the book is kind of written there. Uh, they're maybe better than any program in college football, in my opinion, as far as uh, identifying players that just are a fit from a culture standpoint. Um, and, and when I say culture, I'm, I'm speaking like within the locker, like locker room. Like there are so many guys, you know, that they've taken uh, that it's like every cycle there's the, Guys, I feel like that sit in between like 84 and 87 in the ratings and rankings that always end up being like studs for them. And then they're just so good at, uh, they're just, they always hit in the three star market. You know, Joe Bocci, 84, Mike Panasiak, 88, Matt Allen. Like Matt Allen, like anybody that with the last name Allen that went to Michigan State, I mean, we were stupid to rank like low because they've turned them all into players. If anything, they've they've struggled with the guys that were highly ranked. Yeah, you know, yeah. You look at Trist, Tristan 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 Jackson, like their 16 class. Oh man, I mean, look at this: DeWeaver gone, Vance gone, Chambers hasn't made an impact yet, Jackson gone, Naquan Jones. I think he's gone too. Corley gone. Robertson gone. King gone. That's 
eight of their top nine signees. Kenny, well, Kenny like. So that's 10 of their 11 signees. Eight of them are gone. No, nine of them are gone. One hasn't made an impact, and Justin Lane's the other, and he's been okay. He hasn't been great for them yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, you know, but then, like I said, I see if you got Joe Bocci, who's an all-Big Ten player, could be an all-American candidate this year, who's at the bottom of that class. Matt Allen, multi-year starter. You know, you basically could have turned that class upside down. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think Michigan is. I think they're sort of in the middle between those two. Um, they they have their they have guys that they evaluate and love, and then they have guys that yeah, there is the the highly ranked guys that they just find out that they you know fit in or whatever. You know, it's just. Um, Cause yeah, cause I, I mean, I, you could almost, you could make the argument on that, that Ohio, that Ohio state and Michigan state are, are the opposite ends of the spectrum in the way they recruit. Um, you know, again, I'm going, I'm, I'm just reading Michigan state's commitment lists. Is, they're always fascinating to me because you just see like, yeah, Dante Stallworth was their top guy in 15 besides Scott gone. Raquan Williams. I don't, I don't think he's done anything. Uh, Tyreek Thompson. He hasn't made an impact yet. Cassius Pete gone. You yeah. go to the bottom. Cole Chewins, starter. Kerry Willis, starter. <laughs> Daryl Stewart, starter. Drake Martinez, uh, I don't know if he's with them anymore. Felton Davis, starter. That's yep. going from the bottom up. So it's like every that and for Michigan State, that's like the way it's always it always seems to be, you know. And so, um, and like I say, I guess I would just say that Michigan's right in the middle. Okay. And that's why, like, and Michigan the staff's track record is so good with some, I mean, just look at some of the three stars they've already kind of developed there. So yeah, um, their hit rate is, I mean, it's not quite Michigan States, but it's almost like 50, 50. If you're a three star of being a, you know, high quality contributor. We'll see this year. I mean, like if McCune, uh, you know, I guess Gentry is technically a four star quarterback, but like McCune, you know, Ben Mason, you know, if I don't know what Spinellis is going to do, uh, I think Runyon was a three-star. I mean, they're going to have, and that's just on the offensive side. I don't know. I can't remember what all the, everyone was ranked as a defensive starter, but like they're going to have a lot of three-stars that seem to be trending up well, as top guys and key contributors to this team. Well, Dwumfor. I yeah. mean, Dwumfor is the... Yeah, he was outside third, the top 900. That's right. Third... Oh, and Devin Gill, who could very well be a starter this year too. Uh, you know, the the four outside of Dietarius Johnson, who never enrolled, so I don't even know why he's still on this list. I... Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it just says hard commits. He never signed. Um, but the the four lowest ranked guys in the 16 class by the composite, 84, 84, 84, 85, uh, could all be starting this year easily. And then you throw in Spinellis, who will probably contribute mm-hmm. and will fight for a starting job. And then you have Uche and then you have Nordine. So that's one, two, that's seven of the eight lowest ranked guys, Kingston Davis being the exception, uh, who could contribute heavily this year. And they're all 85 composite or lower, yeah. you know? And so, uh, so yeah, no, I mean they've had a great 
great hit rate there. You know, in the seventeens, the young guy, those some of those lower ranking guys in seventeen really haven't had the opportunity to kind of but quitty pay. He'll play this year for sure. Yep. Ben Mason, we've already talked about Ben Mason. Uh Paya and Honingford we'll see there this year. Hawkins has gotten a lot of hype this offseason. Jamerick Woods started the bowl game mm-hmm. for them. I'm the president of the Andrew Stuber fan club. He's an 88, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, that's what I said. So uh, it's interesting. But, yeah, I'd say the Michigan, if I'm trying to peg it somewhere, they're somewhere in between those two programs. Michigan State has – they don't have to rely on, like, strong evaluations. But as far as, like, you know, they're not – they go into – like, they're so good in going to Ohio – taking guys Ohio State doesn't want and turning them into players. And then they do the same thing in Michigan a lot, you know, with guys that Michigan either never offered or cooled on or whatever, you know, they're, they're very good at, you know, getting, turning some of those guys into it. I, you know, I still think, I don't think there's any doubt that part of Michigan State, the, I honestly feel like that under D'Antonio, they have built their program partially on what I would call like, cast-offs, Michigan cast-offs, like guys that either Michigan maybe jerked around in the recruiting process or never offered, you know, a kid who like maybe dreamed about playing for Michigan and they never offered a uh, chip type. And really, though, I mean, it's Cody White. Michigan never offered Cody White. Uh, Michigan never offered eh, – that's 17 – Sorry, this is kind of... Yeah, you've been listening to Michigan State guys for like 15 minutes. Uh, Christian Jackson, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of... No, I, I get Randall. what you mean, though. So, yeah. And 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 I think they're just going to... You know, I think after that 2016 class, which I believe was their best class, uh, after the way it went down, I don't know if... I think they're just going to keep doing that. I mean, maybe, you know, like if, if a Dobbs is interested, a five-star guy, their best recruit ever, you know, they'll or their best recruit under D'Antonio, you know, they, they're not going to say no. I wonder, and and I know you you think they're pretty much right in the middle. I think Michigan is starting to shift, at least for now. I think they're shifting more toward maybe not like cast-offs or overlooked people, but people that they, like, you know, like I, I think, you know, their defensive back recruiting last cycle. I think at some positions – I mean, they'll always look for a top guy, a polished guy, an instant contributor. But I think they are going to look for guys who, you know, rather than, you know, I think they're I think they're going to evaluate what they think they can turn a player into the same way that they're going to evaluate a current, like, like say someone's a four star and someone's a three star. Well, Michigan's looking if they can turn them into a better four star than what they can do, right? That's what Beeline right. did with with like DJ Wilson. Like he probably could have gotten the top 100 recruit, but he took the guy with a seven foot three wingspan and that could build on 30 pounds of muscle and could shoot threes. You know, he he probably could have taken someone else in 2015 that was kind of around the 60, 70 range, but he took Mo Wagner because he had a very intriguing highlight film, uh, had a lot of lot to build to his frame. You know, Karis LeVert, same situation. Hey, look at that! Just named three first round draft picks, but. You know what I mean? Like they're, I think they're gonna look at they they know what they can develop, and so right. they're looking at like what they can develop you into, as opposed to what twenty four seven thinks you're ranked right now. 
Right. Okay. So, like, I think like eighteen, especially the much maligned two thousand eighteen recruiting class. <laughs> I think what the like what I tried to, and this was something I was kind of like that was brought up to me uh, well before signing day. Is that I think it is really a situation in which, you know, Michigan felt so good about their depth after the 16 and 17 signing classes. I think they felt so good about their. I mean, think about right now, like going into this year, like how deep Michigan is at almost every position. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Especially like on the defensive side of the ball, outside of maybe safety in which, you know, they picked up Casey Hughes, who continues to not be talked about at all as far as a potential contributor this year. Hey, they chose uh, that. We asked about him. They didn't give us much. Interesting. Um, oh, no, but I mean, it's... it's maybe he wasn't not, able to talk about... I was going to say, he's still not talked about, yeah. though, from, like, just a grant, like, just a strictly, like, just projection standpoint, you know. But anyway, they're super deep at so many different positions this year. Uh, really, I think that they... They did. I think that 18 cycle, especially, I would call it more of a Michigan State approach where, you know, a German Green, a Hassan Haskins, a Vincent Gray, a Welshoff, a mm-hmm. Sammy Faustin. Right. Guys that, like, I think that, and they felt comfortable. Like, there's no hurry for Julius Welshoff to come to Michigan and become a star. He's got so many great players ahead of him. That he, they can take their time with them, and I think, or or a schoonmaker who really could play this year. Okay, okay, would have potentially played this year even without the redshirt rule. I keep forgetting about this stupid rule. Um, well, it's not a stupid rule, but in this context, um, so in that regard, <laughs> yeah, in that regard, I think that's the way like eighteen was explained to me. And yes, you know, like we've said, they whiffed on a couple of their of big time guys late. There's no doubting that. But as far as just the Mac, like the landscape of the class as a whole, it was going to be a class where they felt good about the depth they had from the their first two massive signing classes. It gave them a little more leeway to, you know, take some guys that would take a couple of years to, you know, that they could mold and turn into, you know, guys who'd be ready by their second second or third year, you know, to come in and contribute. You know, not guys that that there were going to there was not going to be any pressure on some of these guys to have to come in right away and just tear it up, you know. So Yeah, I agree. I think we're out of time, but Yeah, but yeah, we lots of recruiting intel. Uh next week we will be previewing the biggest questions around Michigan's defense. Uh probably I guess we'll see what happens with basketball. We, you know, lots of stories coming out about Beeline and then there probably should be more recruiting news as well, so be sure to to keep your eyes open at 247sports.com, the michiganinsider.com. Uh, Steve and I will be writing plenty of content between now and when we record next week. It might be earlier in the week because of the 4th of July. Oh, one more question on that, by the way. Anthony Troya wants to know, favorite food or drink on 4th of July? Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything that's a specific thing? Uh, no, I don't know. It's just I think it's just another one of those grill-out holidays isn't that is there like a specific food that people have only on the fourth i was wondering if you had that because i was gonna say like i'll get like like beer pizza 
ice cream, uh, you know, maybe a popsicle. You don't, you don't like grill out. Uh, we grill. It, it it varies. So I grew up. Uh, it's my Fourth of July is like my favorite holiday. So I usually have like three or four meals during the day. Like I'll just be like going from one thing to another, eating what's there. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a grilling holiday too. That's why I mean, I, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a great, it's a great meal holiday. I just there's no specific like food though. Not knocking the question. I get it's a good, you know. We'll probably, uh, I don't know. We usually do like a family thing early afternoon, and then my buddy, we usually head out to the lake and go on the pontoon boat and do yeah. that whole thing at night. So that's and I don't know. So it's just kind of one of those days. But it's a, I mean, it's always a great day though for sure. Yeah, I like the holiday. Don't have any specific food. I'm weird. Like, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of – this is probably a discussion for another time, but, like, like grilled hamburgers versus a pizza. I take a pizza every time. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, a weird – like, I think a lot of people would take, but are you just – okay, what – grilled hamburger, what would you – that's, like, a kind of a bad – comparison because i think pizza is like top of the line for almost anybody yeah like is that a knock on the grilled hamburger or more about your love for pizza uh probably more about my love for pizza it's just i'm just not like someone who's like oh i cannot wait to fire up the grill i'm more of a yeah let's order a pizza you know one thing about fourth of july though pizza takes a long time because everyone gets it like that's like an hour and a half kind of wait situation so sure so we'll see. I mean, I'm not. I, I, I'm sure you've seen me in the press box. I really don't say no to food. Right. Like it's you all can, about the craft, though. Like, <laughs> I mean, you could put together a great grilled hamburger if you do it right, though. I mean, got to buy the good meat. Like, if you're just, yeah, I can. Well, I don't know if she listens to this or not, but her family they always make like those crap hamburgers that are like frozen in a box oh okay yeah and it's like that's you're basically just like spinning your wheels at that point like that's no fun but like if you actually go buy some like good beef or even if you have if you have the time to to grind grind your own meat if you have a meat grinder you buy like some chuck you know or something (laughs) grind it you know make your own like literally make your own hamburger meat uh you're you're sitting gold there, in my opinion. I mean, because that that'll be good. Uh, there's just a uh, you know, because there's such a the hamburger spectrum is very wide. I guess is yeah. really what I'm getting. Yeah, you're at right. Here. It's also a little different because like we always go down to Florida for Christmas and New Year, so like those are grilling holidays for me, actually. Um, interestingly, yeah, so so it's a little little different for me, but hopefully everyone. Enjoys. I don't know if we're recording before then, but hopefully everyone enjoys their Independence Day. However, they choose to celebrate eating-wise. Uh, we'll have the podcast at some point next week, just, just deciding which day. Uh, but for Steve Lorenz on the phone, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories online. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you next time.